welcome to Stop, Hack, and Roll, a podcast about pushing pen and paper games beyond their limits. I'm James. And I'm Brandon. Today we'll be talking about hacking the head off the dragon, playing Dungeons and Dragons without a dungeon master. I think we should just kind of start out talking about how we got into pen and paper games. Yeah, sure. One of my friends was talking about this thing that his dad introduced him to one day when we were in gym class, and it sounded like a cool fantasy thing. I had, I think I had read Lord of the Rings at that point. I had definitely read The Hobbit uh, for school, um, so I was deep into... That was when I was actually into fantasy. Um, and so we grabbed, like, two or three more of our friends and, like, a bowl of pretzels in his parents' basement and started playing D&D. And I rolled up a wizard, and I was an elf, and I shot magic, and it was pretty much great. You've actually got me, like, beat by a lot in terms of the sitting down at a table to play a role-playing game. Um, I started out real early. I think I was about 10, and I was sneaking around and getting online without my mom knowing to play, uh, uh, I think it was called Redwall Muck. It was based on the old Brian Jacques Redwall books, so I was playing a little tiny badger. Not a little, not a little tiny badger, because, uh, you know, badgers are big guys. But uh, I was doing role-playing through that, and it wasn't until about uh, late middle school that I got uh, the third edition starter set. Did I ever tell you that I went and saw a musical version of the Redwall stories? Oh my god, I love that. <laughs> I it was no, um, never. Yeah, it premiered, it was like 1998, I'm looking this up now because I wanted to remember, but yeah, yeah. 1998 in, in Wilmington, Delaware, which is where my grandmother lives, and I remember going down to her house, and I had read the Redwall books, and I was like, super jazzed to go to a, an opera house and basically see people dressed up like mice with swords and stuff running around on castle battlements, and it was pretty cool. I remember nothing of what the content was, but uh, apparently, yeah, it's a real thing. That is beautiful. There was a there was a cartoon that existed very briefly, and the night before it premiered, <laughs> I literally could not sleep. That was how excited I was. I was super into Redwall just because I'm super into mice and uh, and uh, fantasy and swordplay and all that jazz. Yeah, so I had this group of people that I played with, and I and we did the like super classic nerdy thing of in our parents' basement with the lights dimmed, bowls of pretzels and Doritos with, like, pieces of paper and dice, and and nothing we did was in character, and uh, it was all just, I have a sword, and you can shoot magic, and I'm a wizard, and let's go on an adventure and, like, dig our way through this dungeon. And that was, uh, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, we basically just hung out, um, I think, in the way that many people do when they start off playing D&D. So someone else brought you into the hobby. I know a lot of podcasters are the core GM from their group. Did you grow up through the years GMing, or were you mostly on the player side? No, I I never GMed at all in that original group. Oh it was my always my one friend. Um, it was actually so. So my friend had brought me into this group. Uh, well, he formed the group of my yeah. of just the rest of my friends, um, and and we played. And then we got to high school, and it was a little bit harder to find time, because we had other priorities. We, did, we all were big theater people, so we just ended up 
all of our time in the theater. Um, and then graduated and went to college, and then I was the guy who brought people together in college. Um, mm. I still never really GM'd. Um, I just found people who were willing to, and found them people who were willing to play. I played in a D&D group, again, I think it was Pathfinder by then. Um, maybe my junior year of college. Um, and then by later junior year, I ran a short campaign that was just abysmal because it was my first time playing or my first time running. And I think I was playing exclusively with people who had never played before. Sometimes that can um, be... So everything just went so badly. Yeah, but sometimes that can be the best kind. I love sitting down with people that haven't played before. That is one of the things that makes me most excited in the hobby. I, I was the primary GM of my group until uh, probably middle of college. And we had a... Well, and then... At some point, my home group also became your home group, and by that point, we had a couple of other people that were uh, yeah. that were willing to. Jam. That was after college, and then by then, at that point, we had moved away from games like D and D exclusively. I actually don't think I've ever played D and D with you. That can't be right. Did you play? Did you play the fourth edition game where we threw a board through a window? Oh, that's right. Yes, yes, yes. We did. We did play fourth edition. We played one session of fourth edition one encounter of fourth edition ever one encounter yeah i intimidated a wild boar into being my steed as a minotaur and it was excellent but it just took forever and i don't know i think we were just in a weird time where we weren't playing a whole lot then i think we weren't ready for that level of tactics which is not always true yeah we dabble people listening you should probably know that we're probably going to be talking about a lot of indie games the best example that i can come up with is that, like, we played 7th C, and we spent most of that out of mechanics, just sort of role-playing, telling stories, but we did combat, and we did combat, I think, I don't think we ever did miniatures. I, again, because I don't think, except for when we did ship combat in 7th C, I busted out my little toy ships. So why don't we pivot a little bit and talk about the show? Uh, sort of in a general sense. The core concept, as, as sort of I pitched the show, I think, to you, is that basically everyone who ever plays a game at some point hits a rule that doesn't jive with them and is like, I can fix this yeah. and tweak it. And from just my original GM didn't like great swords and thought they were unbalanced, just arbitrarily, to you totally revamped the dice rolling system for Dogs in the Vineyard into basically a whole new system. Which was admittedly terrible, but all of it is is movement. You saw a game, and you saw a way that it was lacking, and you tried to fix it. And so that's what kind of we're coming from in this, this sort of core, like, everybody does this, so let's just talk about it. I also think when, when we're looking at changing these games, when we're looking at hacking and modifying these games, taking the surgical knife to these games, it is because they are wonderful, beautiful, fun games. Yeah. I spent, I mean, we never played, but I spent so much time with the uh, the Dungeon Master's Guide for 3.5 had, like, maybe two paragraphs on, here's how you could time, like, time-lapse forward, and here's some rules for cannons and laser swords. And I went, oh my god, that's fantastic, I would love to do that. And I spent hours trying to figure out how I could tell a sci-fi story, because I'm a sci-fi person, but I like D&D, so how could I tell a sci-fi story in, in Dungeons & Dragons and make that compelling and interesting? Because there weren't many mechanics for it, because it was like two paragraphs. So kind of the idea, coming back to maybe summarizing a little bit, is that we're going to talk about 
pen and paper games that we love and settings we love and kind of merging the two finding those places where maybe this maybe the system falls a little short and can't tell the story that you want maybe you're talking about fate which is a system that doesn't have a whole lot of system and is designed for you to hack it and build your system on top of it um Maybe it's Apocalypse World, which has sort of become the fad thing for you, people to uh, reskin to make the rules help boost the story that you want to tell for your specific genre and tropes. So be it changing rules, adding rules, throwing the entire system out and trying again from scratch. That's kind of what we're all about. And in a kind of a selfish side of things also, we have all of these game ideas and maybe this will force us to actually write them down, and maybe then someone would like them. Yeah. That's also something that we want to do, is as we talk about these things, we hope that it's inspirational to ourselves, we hope it's inspirational to anyone listening, to get these games out there and get them in front of people. Talking about Dungeons & Dragons, and running a game of Dungeons & Dragons without a Dungeon Master, because you've been playing a lot of games that don't have GMs, or you've been playing a lot of story games, and or, or the age-old argument of who wants to GM, no one wants to GM. I gotta say, uh, back when I was in high school, and even when I was in college, I could sit down and write out a whole bunch of adventures, but sitting here as a person with less time, actually writing a Dungeons & Dragons campaign is just more than I'm willing to do, and 5e has done a great job of making it a little bit more accessible. Uh, but it's still way more work than I'm willing and able to do. Yeah, so we're going to talk about ideas we've had for maybe taking it that final step, and how could you remove the GM from D&D entirely, and just sort of, everyone gets to play, everyone plays a character, and then you collaborate on the story. Let's bring it back real quick and talk about what a GM actually does in a game of D&D. Um, they're the ones who are building the story, they're bringing the, the NPCs to you, they're the eyes and the ears of the players as they move through the world. And really that kind of comes back to it being more of a traditional game. Um, the old RPGs tend to have a focus of the GM brings the story and the players respond to that story. And while there's been a lot of loosening of that over the years, from early editions when you'd have a spokesman for the party... There still is a tendency for the GM, at least in Dungeons & Dragons, to be the one who's written the story. As opposed to having a story that really develops as you're playing it in some of the newer style of indie games. Yeah, and some of that, I think, is just because so much of those old dungeon crawls were, were about, here's a dungeon that I wrote, come explore it's why people play video games, because video games are a an interactive environment, except that with video games, you're limited by the things that you can do. And so the idea that the world is being run and designed by a person who can sort of react as you go, that's really uh, that's something that, that isn't appealing. And not going to lie at all, if I had someone that I could play with on a regular basis that was going to write long, interesting delves and dungeons... I'd be all about that. I could totally go for that. But I don't think you're going to find someone who isn't in high school that has the time that they can really do that. Yeah. 
or I mean, or that's like the only game they play. It's a world they've dedicated a lot of time to. Very fair, very fair. Because certainly there are like Pathfinder societies everywhere and people who do this. Yeah, I'm but... just close-minded and yeah. not thinking of that. I just because <laughs> right. well... I don't have time to sit down to write the adventure. I assume yeah. that there are zero people in the world who have the time it's, it's to sit pri- down to write the priorities. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Time. Some people are the hobos playing D and D under bridges. If you are coming from a position of you've played a lot of story games, you're a kind of an indie gamer, you're used to the idea that uh, players who are sitting around the table will all pitch in ideas and help design the world. Um, some games you're just sort of helping build the world in terms of what it relates to your character, and sometimes you're literally framing out scenes and you're dictating what's going to happen there. And so sort of having no GM... Uh, playing that role of dictator of here's what the story is going to be will actually be, I think, pretty natural for some people. I think we've now gotten to a point within the hobby that there's a lot of expectations of people writing the world together. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of things. I mean, fate, sometimes fate has it baked in. A lot of the Powered by the Apocalypse games have it baked in. We even have game systems that are aimed towards creating worlds. Even when we played Urban Shadows, there's there's some world there, but the first thing we did was sat down and tell, like, rumors we'd heard about other people and their different factions, and we built our specific corner of the world. Yeah, absolutely. Which is something that is way less done with a more traditional game. And so something yeah. that we want to try to highlight. Yeah. Um, I think one way that you could highlight that is to start with a different game. Which sounds like I'm just saying, hey, you want to play D&D without a DM? Have you considered not playing D&D? But really what I'm saying is, start with a game that does that as its focus. There is a world-building game called Dawn of Worlds by uh, Bob Pasal, I think, Pasal. And it's available for free, which is my favorite price. And it's actually pretty fun for putting together what exists in your world. And it comes with very few assumptions. That's cool. Um, when I played it with a group of friends, we ended up with, like, a race of raccoons as one of the primary species, and it got a little batty. But even if you want to play it real Tolkien, you just put some constraints on it. and You say, these are the races that are going into it. Yeah. My, my first sort of foray into indie games was with Fate, and so I always like coming at things and thinking about, how would I do this in Fate? Um, and just because that's in my brain all the time. Um, and so I like, I like the idea of maybe not even doing a proper like world building, but just sitting down and like shooting out what are aspects for the world? What would like, what are the like sort of impending dangers and stuff? You sitting down and thinking about aspects for the world coming down, setting out like faces for different organizations. What are the driving factors? Um, what are th- there sort of short blurbs you could use to define aspects of the world? And even though you're not playing Fate, you're playing D&D, um, you can use those overarching concepts to set the tone for the world as you move forward. I think even... I mean, honestly, what this is about is just getting a conversation started. If you're playing D&D, theoretically, you're hoping to use some of these Tolkien races. And so you could even just take pieces of paper, stick it in the middle of the table, and say, okay, what are the cool things about an elf? 
And the cool things about an elf are, yeah, they, they dance in the forest, and they do magic, and they have antlers, and they talk to to little animals, and they're, they're secretly plants, and whatever it is that you want to do, in a way that it builds outward. Yeah, so that, that way, as you are sitting down, doing those sort of traditional Dungeons and Dragons, we're all sitting in a tavern having a beer... An elf walk, or like like those downbeat moments between dungeons. As you're playing out scenes, you don't have a GM who's guiding you for the setting, but you've got these sort of guiding rules that can help make sure everyone's on the same page as they bring their own bits of story. So I think that's definitely first session kind of things. Like what is in our world, and you probably there's lots of ways you can go about strengthening that. I think that one thing that can be important is giving people some ownership of the world. My favorite strategy is to give ownership to people based upon what kind of character choices they made. I heard about this first on Fear the Boot on another gaming podcast, and really what they what the GM did is they said, hey, you chose to be a cleric. So whenever we have questions about the religion of the world, I'm going to be turning to you and saying, cleric, how does this work? Yeah, that's cool. Which is really great, because that gives people the opportunity to all have ownership of that. And if you've got a party of five people, then you can split things up. And if someone has something really cool they want to blurt out, even if it isn't in their handed-to-them domain, then that's also cool, because we're a community sitting together to make a cool game. This does require, I think, a little bit of trust. I think games that have no GM... Are, tend to be a little bit looser and just require people to be a little bit more willing to take other people's ideas. Yeah, going back to that, that first D&D game I ever played, I had one friend who was playing a paladin, and he went off and he wrote the whole backstory of like his father and the guy who stabbed his father and the guy who stabbed that guy and like the secession of kings in this other kingdom that, that he was supposedly from, and it never really came up because we didn't go there, but... There were, there were definitely things, elements from that backstory that the GM pulled from and brought characters in, and I think one of the bad guys was, like, his cousin for a while, and so that was that was interesting. If you're playing a game where you have a GM, those kinds of things, those ownerships of, of sections of the world give the GM places to pull content from, and so they become more important if you don't have a GM because there's so many people all trying to help the story and so if you're the sort of if you're the cleric and you're saying this is what the church is like or at least this is what my church is like then it sort of it helps organize the chaos of everyone's story i think it isn't even just a matter of what is the cleric's church like i think if someone chose to be a cleric they are making it clear that they are interested in fantastical religion and so if you've got an orc religion that you're bumping into that's going to be something that players have to get all angry at, well, that cleric might have some ideas of what to do because they've shown that they have that interest. So the thing that I thought was going to be the hardest going into this sort of thought experiment of removing the GM from D&D was how do you actually, like, how do you maintain that core dungeon-crawling, adventuring uh, aesthetic and feel without that person leading it because there's so much work done by that person. Um, and so I think you, Brandon, and I came up with like totally different ways to do this, which is cool. After a couple of weeks of talking about it and thinking we were writing the exact same thing, we realized we were creating two entirely different rule sets, which is 
Interesting. So let's play with them. Yeah. So tell me, I don't know anything about what you were thinking about. Here is what I... Here's how I picture an adventure going down. The first thing you have to do is coming up with a general idea of what the adventure is. For that, I want to use a set of questions, which we're going to be putting up on the site, that are questions that you ask each individual class. Masks by Brendan Conway has a question that's asked at the beginning of the first session of each player that is related to the playbook that the player chose. And so I want to do kind of a similar thing with this. If you're playing the Barbarian, the question is, who's the biggest, scariest guy on this adventure? If you're playing the Rogue, it's... Who's the biggest, scariest guy on <laughs> in the party? <laughs> if you're playing the Rogue, you're asked, what's the most valuable thing that can be found here? And I'm actually thinking there's... I want to stratify this a little bit more than I have. And so this is still going to be something I want to solidify before we put up as a document. Sure, sure. But starting with these questions, you can end up with something that says, uh, we are going into a crypt. We know that this crypt has goblins. We know that these goblins are worshipping this dark god. And then you've got the structure for the general adventure. Then we take a building break. Take a piece of paper or some note cards... And on those pieces of paper or note cards, you draw little rooms. Because the, the dungeon is going to be appearing on the table procedurally. So, James draws three rooms, I draw three rooms, theoretical third player, theoretical fourth player, and then we've got a little stack of paper. On each little room you write, say, six goblins and a chest. Then you put it in the middle. And then you build the game out, similar to Betrayal at House on the Hill. And as it goes out, people kind of run the room that they're in. So if you know that you've, if you know there's a trap in the room, you probably don't write, there is a big steel trap in this room, but you have in your own notes what's going on there. So you're having people individually, like everyone creates a certain number of rooms, and then those rooms come up. As you explore, yeah. So you'll know what's in a room that you designed, but someone else won't. Exactly, yeah. So so the, so the you take your cards, you shuffle those guys up, you mm -hmm. put it down, and it's like, oh, this is the this is the hallway that James designed. Yeah. And then you know the things that are in that. Okay. So you'll you'll know how to solve the traps in the rooms that you designed, but you won't know whatever, in, in uh, what's going on in other people's rooms. Exactly. So there's still that element of of, of unknown delving into the dungeon. Yeah, because there's, there's some... That's, that's pretty cool. Some part of D&D &D to me is always going to be those old editions that are just, you know, find the statue and you happen to have the gem and you put it in its eye and it's wonderful. And so I want to capture a little bit of that still, and I think this is a way you can do it. Mm -hmm. uh, and this actually also ties in with how I think items need to be managed. Because I think a big part of D&D &D is item management. If I'm sitting down to play D&D, &D, it's because I want to find a cool sword. So, yeah. same exact thing for treasure parcels. You basically have a little stack of paper, and on each person writes down, hey, there is a suit of leather armor. They put it in. And you can also put down an item and just not give a whole lot of explanation, but you know what it's about. So maybe that little wooden goblet is a little wooden goblet that if you drink out of it, it's always poisoned. Uh, and that could be a cool thing that could come up later, and you just have to remember your own magical items you've put in there. Huh. Again, this comes to a little bit of a balance issue, Yeah. but 
if everyone's there to play and have fun... You can make those things work. You can kind of smooth out. Yeah, because the fact of the matter is, if you've got five people all sitting down and writing cool magic items, they're going to come up with more cool magic items than any one person. Yeah, that's interesting. The The whole getting traps and sort of puzzles to work was something that I kind of couldn't initially figure out and then totally pivoted away from entirely. Um which which could be because that wasn't a huge part of the uh, the D and D games that I played. A lot of what I played was just more. You're in a room. Here's some monsters. Fight them and move on. Oh, see, for me, it was a big thing of a lot of different traps and a lot of different using the scenery as well. Mm-hmm. So obviously, when you have your little piece of paper and you're like, oh, there's a there's a line of sarcophagi to hide behind, you can stick that on there, and then you as the room GM uh, can manage that. Mm-hmm. I've kind of not made GMless D and D. Yeah. I cheated a little bit. <laughs> made made everyone is the GM. Everyone is the GM. That's, yeah. that's interesting. I mean that's certainly it, it it hits to the core of what we're getting at of pulling not making all of the work for one person and sort of mixing mixing it up and letting giving everyone a little bit of control. Yeah, my intention with it is that it just it removes any prep. Because you sit down, you ask the questions, you laugh, you shout things out, and then you have five minutes where you lower your head and you draw on note cards. Yeah. I kind of came at this from a point of view of just going through all the different parts of D&D and how do they function with each other. What would we need to to change and what what could just stay the same? And the way I saw it was that the core combat mechanic of I have a weapon and I have a strength and that tells me what I roll. I don't need a GM to to work me through that. I can figure out that math on my own. And the monsters have a DC, they have armor, and basically that's just math. Um, so once you get into combat, you don't really need a GM other than just to smooth things out, if everyone knows how all those numbers work, then it's just rolling dice and adding the numbers together and doing the math. The thing that the GM does in combat in the moment is sort of control the monsters. Right. But I think for the most part, if you're talking about sort of like big goblins and ettins and things that aren't as necessarily as intelligent, or or even the things that are intelligent... Um, they're going to they're going to they're going to be obvious targets. There were never moments when I was playing D&D where I ever felt like, "Oh, the GM was like attacking me for some reason that didn't make sense." It's always like uh, if I was playing the wizard and I had just attacked someone, that person turned around and attacked me. So those things all felt like they could just naturally be have that that role pulled away from the GM and just given to everyone. And you could kind of just sit around the table and talk about, oh, well, okay, well, who's going to attack who? This person will probably attack that person. Or this goblin, this is kobold. So would you want to handle that just kind of as an open discussion that's happening? Because when I was envisioning it, I was figuring you go around the table because initiative takes too long, mm-hmm. and the person to your left runs the monsters that you're involved with. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was thinking it would be more of a discussion. I can I can see that even being even more free, yeah. Because that, that moment was where I started. That moment where you're in the game and there are there's monsters and they and they fight. So I said, how do you get to that moment? And so the thing I came up with was, um, you start with the, the one adventure that I remember doing is you're going down 
you're, you're, I mean, you're, every dungeon is basically the same. It's there's a dungeon, has a whole bunch of rooms. There's some big bad, Blasphemy. and then he, <laughs> and he has themed bad guys and minions and stuff that work for him all living in the dungeon. So if you as a group sit down and say, here are some interesting things about my character, here's some things about your character, um, you build that, as you're doing that story building at the beginning, you'll probably hit a point where obviously there's an ev like there's got to be somebody's rival wizard or there's got to be some legion of undead threatening the church or something like that. Right. And so then when you know what your big bad is, you can write that down on a piece of paper and go, okay, well, if there is a lich, then there's some lichlings. And if there's lichlings, then there's zombies. And if there's zombies, then there are, like, goblins following those zombies around trying to, like, steal from them. And if there's zombies, there's skeletons. And if there's skeletons, there's this. And, and you just build out a whole table of things. Oh. Which hits my second point of that D&D &D to me is combat and tables. Yeah, I, I, I will admit, my style has fewer tables. Which was a moment of regret for me, because D&D &D is tables. <laughs> I wanted to get to that moment where you're in combat as quick as possible. And so, as you're kind of just role-playing, going into the dungeon, getting the feel of, of, of the setting, you would say, okay, well, we open the door, and then somebody rolls some dice for a table, hits one of those groups of monsters that you've already like decided were thematically appropriate for the dungeon that you're playing, and bam, now there's seven zombies in front of you. And then once you're there, the math just kind of flows and runs itself. I think that we've also hit upon something that is important for capturing the feel of D&D, &D, because both of us are aiming towards defining the dungeon before you build the dungeon. Yeah that the things within the dungeon need to be themed together wearing the same outfit. Right. They're all because that's what D&D is about. Carrying a banner. Yeah. Gob with all the same weapon. Goblin 1, Goblin 2. Yeah. <laughs> but really, I think this also opens up some possibility to move it, uh, dare I say, deeper into role-playing land. Yeah. Because when you've got a DM that's looking at you and four players that are waiting for their turn, you feel like you got to act quickly. Mm-hmm. But if everybody is just, you know, working things out and just talking and the guy to your left is being a goblin in this moment and the the person across from you is is setting up different possibilities, then you can really dive into that character and really keep things as a role-playing encounter. Yeah, because you're if you're all sitting around, like you said, sitting around the table talking about, especially if in that moment that I'm talking about, I'm the cleric and this is what my church is like, now all of a sudden I'm talking in character or from the point of view of that character, and it's much easier to slip into character and talk about things as that person. Um, this is the thing that I most want to try out for this, and mm -hmm. maybe if we get a chance later, we should actually play it. Uh, but I'd love to see whether we could remove initiative entirely from this. See, I, li I like the initiative. Oh, I don't like initiative. I like the idea of people just either going around the circle or people just, in this moment, I feel like pretending to be a goblin. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to pretend to be a goblin. And maybe I feel like being a goblin the entire encounter. Sure. That's okay. Then everyone else gets to be more of a hero in that moment. Uh, and it's a little freeform, but sometimes I like a little bit of freeform with my ridiculously crunchy systems. Yeah. For me, in that, if you're playing that sort of super crunchy, combat-focused system, then... 
initiative is is, a, is an important number it, it organizes combat and so if i if if my goal which it was was to um to keep as much of that core moment of D the same then that 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 moment is driven by initiative because it tells you who goes next so you would also then have npcs having initiative in there right would you assign npcs to specific players probably not the way I was kind of thinking about it was that for generic sorts of enemies, you might just kind of freeform whoever wants it. Mm-hmm. But if you've got someone who's more important, you might just stick someone in charge. Yeah, I was trying to avoid that because I wasn't trying to write rotating GM D&D. I was trying to write <laughs> GMless D&D. You mean you weren't trying to write something entirely different from what we planned? Because I was trying to write something entirely different from what we planned. My 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 thought was just always that if you're in combat and you feel like somebody says, "Hey, that skeleton should attack should attack you again," and that skeleton and all of the skeletons have always attacked you, and they've never attacked the thief, who's the guy always saying, "Hey, you should the skeleton should attack you," then like you throw a pretzel at him and say, "Hey, this isn't like that doesn't make sense. Why would the skeleton run all the way across the map?" past you and attack me. and then uh, if... That's a ranged attack, yeah. so it's got to use its dexterity bonus for that one. Sure, and if there's a good, <laughs> if there's a good reason, um, nerdy voice aside, then, then that's that's something that we can talk about. And, and, and like, I keep coming back to, like, that's what people who play D&D love. Yeah. Or at least that's what the people I play D&D love. That, and, and so there's mechanics there, there's, there's rules, the monster manual has guides for how, how the monsters will act, and you can just be people sitting around a table nerding out over D&D saying, obviously this displacer beast is going to attack me next or you next because that's what displacer beasts do i think amusingly we've also both created games that focus exclusively on the dungeons i think a lot of people when they try to take D and make it more of a story game they say okay what if you spend less time in the dungeon yeah but for me i think D sings in the dungeon and i don't yeah. understand why you would want to bring it out of that and, and for me, it was the it was the crutch of it. D and D has that great mechanic of the math behind mm-hmm. it all. That if you pull the GM out, then maybe the storytelling can flop, but the map will, the math will always be there. And so that's what I leaned on as a crutch to sort of propel the game forward. Okay. And so items, would you be wanting? Because I love me some D and D items. Would you be wanting to use those DM tables for items? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's what I'm all about. Because tables you know, in combat. I love item tables when I was DMing. I built huge ones. Where you, it sounds like you came from a lot of places of, let's all talk about what would be in the... What kind of items would be here? And then everyone choosing and placing a couple items. My method was going to be a lot more just like, okay, we open a chest let's crack open the GM's guide, find the random yeah. item table, and roll, and then if I get a magic item, then we have to work backwards and say, why would this random zombie have a sweet magic item in a chest somewhere? How did that get I there? Bet there's, I bet there's also all sorts of wonderful resources that maybe we can find one and link to. Yeah. Different resources that give you chests and what are in chests, so that you don't even necessarily need to have the book open, because as much as I love rolling on tables... At least in 3.5, that would be roll. Oh, it's an armor. Roll. It's a normal armor. Yeah. Oh, it's an animal armor. Yeah. 
And it just it while that is while that was fun for lonely fun Brandon in high school, I can't put that into my game. See, I, I <laughs> too much time in my game. See, I just see I see possible stories out of that. If you're if you're in a dungeon and you've just completed combat and you're like oh you're like yeah, I can't wait to open this chest and see what's in it and you open it up and it's like leather dog armor and you're like well I don't have a dog now I gotta go see, get a dog to put this I armor love that. on. See, I love that. I love that. That's so good. But I want to do that with like a click. Yeah. Just because I I I don't want to have to flap that many pages during. But, that, that, but see, mean, and that's that that is D and D to me is looking for ta- for tables through is looking books. through tables. The books like, were as much of the, the experience to me as the, the the story. There is a website that I want to talk about but I don't know the name of. Give me a second. Okay. Wizards there is a website random dash What? <laughs> Wizards of the Coast. <laughs> you may have heard. Random dash generator.com. I think it's called Abulafia. We'll put a link in the show notes. That has all sorts of generators for different swords or, or weaponry. I'm I'm opening up right now uh treasure. Let's see, what should I generate? Armor. Armor? Dog armor. Dog armor. I should, <laughs> I should definitely generate armor. I don't know about dog armor. Uh, so, pulling this up. Oh, jeez, these are long names. I'm going to say a helmet instead of armor. Uh, so this just has a helmet of shining steel with a plume of puce. Yeah. That's really cool. And that's way cooler than helmet. That's really what I would love to see, and maybe some kind of combination can be done. I'm, I bet there's a generator somewhere that has a cool description and a cool power. And in it. I mean, and and we're in an age where maybe putting together your own generator wouldn't be that hard. You all spitball a list of items that you might want to see show up, sort of like what you were thinking, and then someone codes that into something where you click a button and boom, there's an item. You could probably even do that through Abulafia. Um, but I think there's a bunch of other sites that do that as well. Yeah, or I mean... <laughs> go <laughs> go old fashioned. Take out a piece yeah. of paper. D100. Write it down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if if each person just writes down cool ideas they have, and then at the end of the encounter, although the, the, now we're back to my system, uh, yeah. just using a table instead of drawing. Who knows? Yeah. Well, that's that's what I'm about. And that moment where you're like, sweet, I got some armor. Damn! Now it's dog armor. Okay, I, I can I can see. I the like joy that, in that that sort of that that disco- that moment of discovery of no one knows what this is going to be yet. Yeah, yeah, I do like that. That is true. I can't I can't argue against that. <laughs> I, I don't want so, to argue against that. Working backwards from combat, I think you mentioned earlier that question of how do you get there? How do you get to the dungeon? Because we're we're very focused on the dungeon. Yeah, and. I thought that that would be where you could just roleplay. That could be more freeform. I kind of threw out the idea that it could be something like Fiasco or Noir World, uh, where people throw out scenes, or you go around a table and someone picks out a scene and says, hey, I'd like to do a scene with the the paladin and the cleric and the thief in the church, and let's just see what happens. And then you go. And then once you've done enough, a certain number of scenes, someone goes, hey, let's do a scene where we're on our way to the dungeon. Or let's do a scene where we're at camp. Okay. Because that's a big thing. So you're, so you're actually having the what the adventure is going to be 
developed in character. Yeah, sure. See, I I had not even considered that possibility. I really was doing that as an mm-hmm. out of character thing. Yeah, I liked it in character. I mean, and you could say like we need to have a char- we need to have an adventure, and yeah. so we could come up with roughly the form of someone will probably tell us what to do, and <laughs> and the person who's picking a scene or the first person who comes up with an idea is the like I said is the cleric is like hey let's do a scene with me and the paladin and the thief because they're in the church and they're coming to, and the thief is coming to steal something and the paladin catches them and then as the, the cleric I'm moderating and then while we're doing that scene maybe someone who isn't in this in the scene comes in as the priest and he's like hey you guys don't need to fight maybe go get this cool magical item from this dungeon over there somewhere and then boom you've got a story yeah i mean really that is kind of an interesting thing that that it's very easy to generate an adventure of what's going to happen right now especially if you all know where you're going <laughs> And if you've all agreed for up front, yeah. And if you stick with tropes and you really go with it, yeah. I think some people would miss an overarching storyline. Yeah. And I'm not 100% sure how to hit that, except maybe just having at the end of each session, hey, five minutes, where do we think this is leading? I mean, some of that could show up naturally. A lot of what the way I've been thinking about it is in those moments where you roll a random item from the chest or what's on the body of a lich now that you've killed him. Yeah. And, oh, why did I? Like, so you randomly generate a candlestick or... It's a like, dog candlestick, Yeah, a dog candlestick. Um, it's a leather animal candlestick. Not made not made out of animals, but for animals. Yeah, yeah. And so you're work- as you're working backwards away from the table, which is always the center of everything, that... That in those moments, someone could be like, "Oh, well, obviously there is some animal <laughs> kingdom that's that's dispersing stuff out into the world and paying mercenaries to harass people so that they'll soften up the kingdoms for their inevitable invasion." And that's how you could get sort of serendipitously get the overarching storyline. I like that. I like that. And I mean, part of it also is just some of the good old fashioned indie storylines of using some of the same NPCs over and over again. Yeah. You brought up the church. Uh, maybe that shouldn't just happen once. Maybe you go back to that church. Maybe you see yeah. the priest later. And I think maybe part of it is just having a tally of NPCs that you can keep on tapping. Yeah. And certainly you can use those moments of serendipity of sort of the rolling on the table to direct you toward NPCs who will need to show up in the future because right. if you now know that you've seen a bunch of different little like animal armor and animal candlesticks and stuff like that well then maybe you need to have a, a scout animal show up at the church next week at the next during your adventure when someone says hey let's do a scene here you need to you know one of those pre-adventure scenes needs to now probably involve an animal NPC like maybe like a little mouse with like a cape like a and mouse. a sword and it'd be yeah. awesome and that is my next character and surprise Redwall. <laughs> surprise, we're playing Redwall again. I like I, I I keep coming back to the thing that I miss about D D is that number crunchy system and, and there's there's definitely an elegance to it in its complication, but in, in, in the way that it just it sets off the dominoes falling of if I do if I want to do this, here's the mechanical way I do that. And then do, whether or not I hit is determined mechanically, and then if I hit 
the, the amount of damage I do is determined mechanically, and then if that person dies, that's mechanical, and all these things just flow and propagate outward from each other in a way that would have to be done in story form in an indie game, but in D&D has a, that mechanical backbone. I think there's certain things that some of these indie games that attempt to be replacements for D&D just aren't going to quite hit. I have read Dungeon World an extraordinarily large amount of times, and I've uh, run Dungeon World several times, and it doesn't quite scratch specific D&D itches. It does a lot of the fantasy. I love it. It's a wonderful game. But sometimes I want to find bracers of ogre strength. Yeah. And it's just not going to be there. When you're playing a game where the story is driving the action, you're going to miss out on those individual little moments where you get to the boss battle and you've been hyped for this for a while because you've been you're slogging your way through the lich's dungeon, and the thief rolls a sneak attack and he's got just the right kind of uh, weapon to deal just the right kind of damage that goes straight through the the lich's armor and he rolls a crit or his dice explode or something and. He just, like, one hit kills the Lich, and suddenly this big fight that you were looking forward to is just gone because the math decided that this guy was going to get really lucky. You're not going to have those moments in Dungeon World because so much of the story is driven by the group, but, like, in that moment, that thief has a really great story to move forward, and he can boast about the time that you all fought your way through a Lich and then no one else helped him kill the Lich because he just did it in one hit Yeah, because he's that much of a badass. Yeah, and that's a very specific kind of fun that I think is kind of yeah. trad game only. I the way the way the way that I was linking that back and and trying to help find moments and nuggets for um for indie gamers and story gamers is that in those mechanics, in those in that math, in the dice rolls, you can find those serendipitous moments and turn them into story. In in a way that if you were just trying to tell a story, you might miss. Absolutely. Because you weren't forced by a mechanical system to have something weird happen. Absolutely. I mean, really, you can take... This is no new news to any GMs, but you can take anything and just build a story out of it, working backwards. And as a group, that's going to be even better, hopefully. Do we have anything else to say about the main topic? I think that might be it. I think we covered your ideas and my ideas, and we've given hopefully given people some places to go and move forward. And Yeah, and if anyone has any other ideas about uh, playing D&D GM-less or filled in, with tons of GMs... <laughs> everyone's a GM. Everyone's a GM or no one's a GM. Because when everyone's a GM, no one's a GM. Exactly. You and I just went different directions on it. Uh, hit us up with those, because we'd love to hear more ideas, and I... I don't know about you, but I want to play this. Yeah, I do too. So badly. I really want to make it happen. So, thank you for joining us here in this first episode of Stop, Hack, and Roll. Definitely looking for feedback. Let us know your ideas, as Brandon said, about running uh, GM-less D&D. Maybe there's someone out there who's already done it. Tell us how you did it. We're going to be putting up any resources that we talked about onto the show notes and onto the website. And one of our ongoing goals is that we Me want creating examples of the kinds of of things we're talking about that you could resources that you could use when you were hacking a game uh, as we do them. So you've got your your cards, templates, or something. I'll write up an example list of lich dungeon minions. Yeah, absolutely. And that people could roll on and and uh, and just to sort of show examples of what that might look like. 
a lot of the ideas we're going to try to write up in some form before we record so we can make direct reference to it, but mm-hmm. sometimes that's just not going to happen because we're going to be coming up with some ideas on the fly. As these But our goal go. is to have every episode accompanied by some sort of material or content, refer- whatever that we referenced in, in the podcast, so that you guys can take those things and then go out into the world and play GMless D&D. Yeah, I think Should you? my hope is for there to be a little set of rules, maybe from each of us, of yeah. how you could do it. And if you mm-hmm. do it, please let us know. I would love to hear how it goes almost as much as I would love to actually play it. And moving forward with the podcast, also let us know what you'd be interested in hearing us talk about. What things have you wanted to hack? Where have you struggled to find a system to make this work? What system are you hung up on but can't make it play the setting that you want? All these things, let us know, uh, and we'll talk about them. Check out the website, which is stophackandroll.com. We also are both really active on Twitter. Uh, We have a specific Stop Hack and Roll Twitter account, at Stop Hack and Roll. You can also find me at at and the meltdowns. And I am at Dr. Captain Cobalt. You can email either of us at our name at stophackandroll.com. So that would be Brandon at stophackandroll.com. Or James at stophackandroll.com. Thank you for spending this time with us, listening to us ramble on about D&D and reminisce about high school and throwing pretzels at people. Yeah, we really appreciate just having this opportunity to connect with people about games and that's what we want this to be about, a way for us to connect with other people about games and for people to connect with each other and for awesome new game and game hacks to come out. So, whenever you're sitting down to play a pen and paper game, don't forget to stop, hack, and roll. Mm-hmm.